Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. So glad to be with you today. If we haven't met yet, my name's Drew Shelley. I'm one of the pastors here and glad to be sharing this time of worship. Our hope and prayer as we worship is that that we'll all experience the loving presence of the risen Christ in a very real and meaningful way as we share this time and give our hearts to God so that we can somehow be encouraged and renewed and changed as followers of Christ. That's what we're here for today, to learn and grow and to become more like Jesus in every way. I wanted to share with you that in a couple of weeks, on August the 7th, we'll be starting another worship and preaching series called Loving Like Jesus in an Age of Division. Loving Like Jesus in an Age of Division. I'm really excited about this. I think the Holy Spirit has given us something important to share during what is a very difficult time of division in our larger world, in our own country, uh, and sometimes even in our own community. And so spread the word about that. Bring some friends with you as you think about August the 7th, and uh, let folks know that we're going to be having some, some really, I hope, wonderful deep look at scriptures to see how Jesus encourages us to love like he does in a time of great division. So bring that, uh, bring that to the front of your mind and join me in prayer as we prepare for this next season. That'll last through August and some of September too. Let's pray together this morning. Oh God, we're grateful for your presence with us here in this place. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would move in a mighty and powerful way to open our hearts and minds to what you say to us today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have several scriptures today as we think about our next topic. I'll start with uh, James, the letter from James. uh, First chapter, second through fifth verses. Let's hear the word of God. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. And then Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 This is a word about Jesus. Therefore, Jesus had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he, Jesus, might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. 
because he himself was tested or tempted by what he suffered, he is able to help. He is able to help those who are being tested. This is the word of God for the people of God, and so we say, thanks be to God. You can leave your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll need that uh, next as we go along through our sermon. Our summer worship series has been rich with conversations about real issues that we all deal with. Today we learn about something called trauma, trauma, and its effect on people. You've probably heard about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, its effect on soldiers returning from military service. We've learned a lot through the study of their experiences. Their experiences have actually opened a window to other kinds of trauma that lots of folks experience, trauma that causes all sorts of things you and I encounter on a daily basis. Traumatic experiences can actually change the way that our brains work, really fundamental changes in the way that our brains work, especially those traumas or experiences encountered by children, such as physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, uh, witnessing scary things such as the abuse of a loved one, uh, living in a continuous heightened state, state of alert. This happens to a lot of children in our communities. Uh, abandonment, uh, entering the foster care system, poverty, hunger, parents in prison, neglect of all kinds. All these things are experiences that children have that have the same kind of effect as uh, trauma has on soldiers in the military, PTSD-type effects. School counselors call these uh, adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs for short, adverse childhood experiences. Uh, Two-thirds of American adults have experienced at least one significant ACE during their childhood, and 20% of us have experienced three or more ACEs. The more of these that you have, the more likely it is that your brain has already rewired itself in some self-protective way that drives what might seem to you to be odd behaviors as adults, okay? That's very likely if you've had ACEs that your brain has already rewired itself in some self-protective way. Many of these behaviors are simple and harmless. Maybe you, you fidget a lot or maybe you shake your leg when you get nervous or something like that. Uh, but more often than not, there are triggers which bring out of you ways of acting that are actually not very helpful to those around you, if you know what I mean, that can actually be hurtful to your relationships and to your colleagues at work and to all those who might be around you. This is new information to me. I'm, I'm still processing what it all means, and it's kind of hard for me to process because uh, I grew up, like many of you, in the era of teachers whose main response to acting out was, what's wrong with you, boy? Quit doing that mess. That's what I heard over, what's wrong with you, boy? Quit doing that mess. That was the primary way that our teachers dealt with these sorts of things. This has actually been my approach, too, as a pastor and as a parent. What's wrong with you, boy? Quit doing that mess. This is how my brain works right now. We had this boy at another church, uh, oh my goodness, this was during a youth lock-in. Do y'all know what a youth lock-in is? Yeah. A youth lock-in is a terrible thing where, <laughs> where adult people who have been at work all day come to the church on Friday night, and we lock them up with teenagers who have somehow managed to be at home sleeping all day, 
so that they can be awake all night. And we lock them in the church and just hope that everybody has a good time. That's a terrible thing called a lock-in. Anyhow, we had this lock-in, and this boy was there. He was running all over the church, just completely out of control, just, just wild, like an animal, just running, just ah, hollering and yelling. He got out on the roof of the church. That's one thing he did, got out on the roof. I had to go get him from the roof of the church. We caught him uh, snuggling up to a girl on a couch in the youth room, okay, if you understand what I'm saying. He was snuggled up way too close to a girl on a couch in the youth room. And then when confronted with some of these things, he cussed out my precious wife in front of God and everybody with words I had never even heard before, okay? I didn't even know some of the words he was using to talk to my wife. It was awful. By the end of this, I had him by the collar and was uh, marching him out the door of the church so his daddy could take him home early from the youth lock-in. All I could think to say to him was, son, what the mm is wrong with you? <laughs> Quit doing this mess. That's, that's all I could. That was my benediction to him as he left the church. <laughs> Years later, this story played out in my mind again as a, a school counselor suggested to a room full of teachers that our first thought should not be, what's wrong with you, <laughs> but what has happened to you? What has happened to you that this is the behavior your brain calls out of you in this moment. Now, that's not an excuse for bad behavior, not an excuse, but it might be a reason. And sometimes it's way more important to know the reason than to have an excuse. Now, just play this thing out a little bit with those statistics. Two-thirds of the people you encounter on a daily basis have had experiences in childhood which shape the way they respond to life in negative ways. 20% of the people you encounter have had multiple traumatic experiences significantly shaping the way they respond to life in negative ways. You overlay this with all the uh, other sorts of traumatic experiences that we have in adulthood. For example, one in three women have been sexually assaulted, one in four men. So many of us have witnessed a tragic death or an act of violence of some kind. Others have lived with mental illness or addiction for years, have cared for people with mental illness or addiction for years. These are stressful things. Others have lived under intense financial stress or other kinds of stress for decades. Others have seen loved ones abused or neglected, and just on and on it goes. The list is endless. Now we put all that together, we begin to see why the cycle of violence and destruction runs so efficiently in our culture today, why it runs so efficiently. You pair that with preachers who only know how to say, what's wrong with you, boy? Quit doing that mess. And even the church isn't much help to folks who are desperate for healing and wholeness. I'm reminded of a quote from the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he once said, there comes a point, there comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they are falling in. That's where we are in this conversation. The traumas of life are real, painful, 
Each of us handles them differently, and they often have lasting effects on us. They so often explain, not justify, they explain so much of the difficult behavior that we see in the world, the classroom, the workplace, the church place, and everywhere else. You may wonder, well, preacher, is it just too late? Have our brains all been so messed up that there is no hope anymore? Of course not. Of course not. It is never too late with God. Look at Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. It offers a beautiful promise. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, is our great high priest. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet is without sin. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in every time of need. This is the same Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was hanging on the cross when he said that. Jesus knows trauma, our trauma, better than we do. He has endured it all. We're not alone in this struggle. Jesus invites us to come boldly before the throne of grace. But to be quite honest, that can be very hard to do. I have a dear friend whose father abandoned her family at an early age, at her early age. There was alcoholism, abuse, all the things that you can imagine. She had about a dozen of these aces before she was six years old, way back in a time when we just didn't talk about any of this stuff. It was all a big family secret. She's now over 60 years old. She's semi-retired. She has been an extremely effective administrator and educator for her career, but most of her adult life has actually been quite tough. She had a difficult marriage no children of her own, lots of unhealthy coping mechanisms. She was on and off medicines, and she had some ways of responding to life which brought more hell on herself than help, if you know what I mean. She's always been a deeply committed Christian woman, but because of what happened to her, because of what happened to her, her primary image of God was that of her father, the image of her father. She spent a lifetime trying to earn God's favor, trying to keep God from getting angry with her, trying to be sure God would not abandon her like her earthly father did. Some of you know this God. You know the one I'm talking about. He's the one you have to always fear, the one you've been taught to fear. He does not bring healing and wholeness, only judgment, condemnation, shame, and threat. That's the one that she knew, the one that looked like her father. Somewhere in the last decade, my friend encountered the one true God, the one revealed to us in Jesus Christ, the one who invites us to come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in every time of need. She discovered her true Father, and real healing began. She is now a very different person She helps people understand aces and trauma now, even still today. Her story has helped me understand this stuff so much. I I wish I had known her story when I was at that (laughs) lock-in 
with that out-of-control boy way back then. Another way we come boldly before the throne of grace is to recognize that, that God has given us wonderful mental health professionals who can actually help us talk through our traumatic experiences with tools that can repair our rewired brains. It is incredible as your pastor to watch adults work on these old hurts and traumas. It is hard work, I know, but on any given Sunday, one of you, at least one of you, walks through the door with a smile on your face that I haven't seen before. I know you've been working on this stuff for six months, nine months, for a year. It's been hard. It's been grueling. You're still not all better, but my goodness, that smile tells me you are a lot better than you were. We praise God for that. It happens all the time, but we must come boldly before the throne of grace, and sometimes we must get some help that gets us to places where we can truly find healing and wholeness. School teachers tell us that the best plan, the best plan is to prevent these ACEs from ever happening, to save our kids from these adverse childhood experiences. The second best plan, and the one that is quite a bit more realistic, is to create safe places for kids to talk through what has happened to them with a loving, caring adult. These children are so resilient. When we're 10 years old, it takes a whole lot less to process the stuff that we've been through than when we're 40 or 50 and have kept it buried for decades, self-medicating with all sorts of unhealthy things. If we could just learn to see each other with empathy and compassion and what has happened to you rather than what's wrong with you, why we'd be much more in the Jesus way than where we usually are, and we'd be much more helpful to each other. God offers healing with many facets, mental health care, exercise, healthy life habits, the people that we're around, the things we think about, and especially, especially the cultivation of a life of faith in Jesus Christ, which generates healing and wholeness in the deepest parts of our being from the inside out. That is the seat of real healing. I wish I had known that back at that lock-in. When that boy's very angry daddy got to the church lock-in to pick him up, the man reeked of late Friday night alcohol. He came to the door and he boxed his son's ears with such force that the boy went down on his knees. I heard that man yelling as I closed and locked the church door. I watched as that man kicked his son so hard in the back that he fell on his face in the church parking lot, not once, not twice, but three different times on the way to the truck to go home. I have repented many, many times of my first thought, my first thought, which was kick him one more time for what he said to my wife. I wish I had known enough then to pull that grown man aside. He was a faithful church member to pull him aside and say, what has happened to you that you thought this was the best way to discipline your son. I might have learned something. He might have too. 
we could have grown together as Christian men and maybe broken a generational curse or two in the name and power of Jesus. But I didn't do that. I was too worried, too upset about how I had been wronged, how I had been offended, how I had been inconvenienced. Too worried about that to see the pain and hurt of another precious human being or two. Thank God I know better now. If I can just remember, maybe you can help me. Maybe we can help each other remember. That is the Jesus way, after all. Let's be about that way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen.